All right, cool. Um, here we go. This is Dr. Mansweti in cancer in three, two. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Title Health on Point. I'm Roger, your host and the Director of Strategic Communications at Title Health. And on the program with us today is Dr. John Mansweti. He is the Executive Medical Director of Cancer Services for the Richard A. Henson Cancer Institute and the Allen Cancer Center at Title Health Nanticoke. Dr. Mansweti, welcome back to the show. Thank you very much. Thank you for the invitation. Always, always, always appreciate it. Always good to have you here. You know that. Thank you. We're going to talk cancer services in a minute, but I can't start the program without first talking about a previous life that you had, which is the most awesome thing in the world, I think, and that's fighter pilot in the United States Navy. Yeah, I, I must admit, I have to tell you, I do miss it. <laughs> you know, the t new Top Gun movie came out, and some of those flying scenes brought a lot of memories back. And and honestly, that's probably the most realistic, uh, true flying scenes I've seen. Flying scenes I've seen in a movie ever. And I think because they truly had the actors in the jets with cameras on them, so you see their faces being pulled, you see them under G, and you can see them stressing and straining. That is exactly what it is like in the cockpit. It's much more violent than you would ever imagine, you know, from uh, from other Hollywood movies. So I was super excited to see the movie and uh, really uh, had a great time. So another awesome part of that is you flew your sorties off of aircraft carriers. Yes, you know, obviously as a Navy pilot, we have to, we live on a ship, right? So we have to uh, land on a ship so we can get our dinner every night. Um, so <laughs> good, I have probably, point. yeah, I think I've had about 350 traps. Uh, about a third of those are at night. Um, all my gray hairs due to the night traps. I can tell you that right now that will get your blood pressure going. Um, cause you're really not seeing much, but a bunch of lights and there's a big black hole down below you. So that that's quite exciting. I can tell you that it gets your adrenaline glowing, but, uh, yeah, so it, uh, it was a fantastic time in my life. I, uh, am so glad I had that opportunity. You know, I thank the United States for giving me the trust to give me the keys to a $40 million jet and let me go out and, uh, and do some missions. So, uh, yeah, it always, I have fond memories of that time. So they hand you the keys as a kid, Right. I mean, how old were you when, yeah, you, when you jumped you know, in? Honestly, I think uh, when I started flying the Tomcat F-14, I think it was 26 years old. So I look at 26 year olds today and I think, oh, my God, they look like little children. Uh, <laughs> but somehow, yeah, they entrusted me and I had a backseater and we uh, we uh, did some great missions. And uh, we, you, you grow up fast. I can tell you that when you get that kind of responsibility. I'll bet you do. So at some point, your flying career comes to an end and you decide, well, let me try medicine, which itself is, is just, to me, a crazy transition, but a very respectable transition. But on top of that, you choose cancer services, which is one of the most challenging specialties that are that's out there in medicine. So I don't know that I've ever asked you this, and I've known you a long time. What led you down that career path? Yeah, it's funny. I, I always thought, you know, I'm kind of a high energy guy and I like excitement. I always thought I was going to be an emergency room physician or maybe a surgeon or something like that. And, uh, and, uh, one of my, uh, other, I was a flight surgeon also in the Navy. So I had a shared an office with another flight surgeon and he had got picked up for radiation oncology, do the residency. And he's the one who got me interested in, and he said, you need to take a look at that specialty. It's a good, it's a good combination of technology, of, uh, interesting studies, interesting work, advancing cancer care and a great group of patients. And honestly, that's how I thought about radiation oncology the first time ever. Uh, and I took him up on it and explored a little bit more. And I realized that this is such a great specialty there. Honestly, is no better group of patients to take care of than cancer patients, for sure. So here we are, 2022. You're leading the cancer services team at Title Health. Uh, aviation analogy here. 30,000 feet looking down. What do you think of the program right now? So our program is 
awesome here. I can tell you that right now from personal experience. And, and I've, I've worked a lot of different hospitals, a lot of different organizations, and we're literally at the academic level, the University of Maryland's, the Johns Hopkins, in my opinion. So what that really means is the multidisciplinary capability where we have inputs from all the cancer specialists. The uh, updated technology, the, the, the organization has been fantastic about keeping us up on the latest and greatest technology. So it's a big financial investment to do that. And the organization has been willing to do that. And also, uh, both the APPs, which is, you know, the nurse practitioners and the physician assistants that, and the physicians are extremely well-trained, extremely dedicated and a pleasure to work with. So that team approach is what makes it so amazing, in my opinion. And honestly, that's what you need in this today's cancer care. It's so complicated. You literally need a whole village or a whole team of practitioners to, you know, provide the best care for our cancer patients. And we have that here. What are some of the services that set us apart? So I think, um, you know, probably the biggest thing, in my opinion, is the quality of the physicians, number one, and, and, and APPs. Uh, so they've, a lot of them dump specialized training. They've, you know, uh, continuing medica- medical education they're continuing to do. And also sort of the ancillary services that we bring in, such as research, is huge here, such as our um, um, social workers that take care of sort of the spiritual part of the patient. So it's not just the disease, but there's, you know, it's physical and mental. And so that's so huge to take care of the patient uh, uh, in multi-levels. And so we do have all those support services, uh, you know, including social work that is able to help the patients get through this very trying time in their, in their, in their life. And so I think that's what sets us apart uh, to other organizations that may just not have those resources. And we're also doing some, some really cutting-edge, revolutionary-type stuff, that is reducing treatment times for patients and reducing treatment encounters for patients. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. I was just talking about this uh, to somebody this morning, and when I first started in radiation oncology, uh, you know, we had some of the advanced technologies when I was a resident. Um, and But let me give an example, say, for a prostate cancer treatment or a head and neck treatment. You might be on that table for 45 to 50 minutes and if it's a head and neck cancer, you're literally strapped to the table in a mask. You can't move for 50 minutes strapped to it. Could you imagine how miserable that would be Terrible. to be strapped to a table? Absolutely right? miserable. So what used to take 50 minutes takes maybe five minutes now. And so it's a lot more tolerable to be, you know, restricted on a table for five minutes than it was. I don't even know how our patients tolerate back then. So that that incremental leap in technology and speed of treatment has been phenomenal. And it's been in light speed years. I mean, just in the last uh, four to five years, it's been dramatic changes. And and so we've been able to keep up that technology here. We have those latest and greatest toys. And so as far as radiation oncology concerned, we can, you know, treat you in one-tenth of the time or use other techniques to treat multiple areas that we could never do in the past. And we have that capability now. Full disclosure, you're my radiation oncologist. (laughs) Uh, We have been uh, down this road together and it's 10 years for me since my robotic prostatectomy and my prostate cancer. So uh, I'm very happy with the outcome there. Obviously, I'm sitting here talking to you today and things went very, very well. But we mentioned one of the challenging parts of this job is the fact that you go into this trying to cure everyone. But there are those times when you can't. Uh, How difficult are those conversations when you have to have them? Yeah, obviously, that's difficult when I get that, uh, you know, I have a follow up schedule every day. And I, you know, I review everybody's films and images and PET scans and that sort of thing. And you know, usually nine times out of 10, you usually get good news. I'm like, that's going to be great. I can go in and tell that patient that uh, everything looks great. No evidence of cancer. You know, I think you're cured. 
But, you know, that 10th person that you look up that scan, you're like, oh, no, this is not good, you know. And, and almost every day I have one of those outcomes, right, where I have to go in and have that conversation. But, you know, I think uh, that the patients are realistic. They know their cancer could always come back. And they um, – it's a difficult conversation, but 99% of the patients um, – are very receptive to the information and want to know, okay, what's our plan? They are very um, uh, optimistic and proactive that they want to co- continue to fight. Um, and But they're realistic. They may know that they may never get cured, and this may take their life eventually, but they don't give up, and we don't give up, and we try to continue the fight as long as the patient wants to continue to fight to you know keep them on this earth and keep their quality of life as good as possible as long as possible so they can spend as much time as they can with their family and friends. That's awesome. You mentioned therapies, treatment options, uh, revolutionary technology. Sounds to me like you're probably having f- fewer and fewer of those discussions where you have to tell somebody there's not much more we can do. Yeah, and we are we are curing more people. There's no question about that. I mean, if you look at the studies, uh, more people are being cured uh, year after year just because of our technology, our new surgery options, our new radiation options, our new chemotherapy options. You know, one of the newest kids on the block we've talked about is immunotherapy uh, that's literally giving you drugs that boost your immune system to attack the cancer. And some of the results of that have been phenomenal. You know, patients that we knew wouldn't have lived six months, you know, 20 years ago are cured. I mean, it's just amazing. Tumors melting away when they're given immunotherapies. Now, not every cancer can receive that, but you know, melanomas are a perfect example. It was a death sentence if you had metastatic melanoma. I'm seeing lots of stage four melanoma patients that literally had cancer everywhere that we can't find a single cancer wow. cell on their body. And that's because of immunotherapy. That's so, remarkable. Yeah. So that those are kind of cutting edge treatments that are out there that we have here today at Tidal Health that is making a difference for our patients every day. Is that immunotherapy, is that the the greatest thing that's ever happened in cancer care since you've been in the business? Yeah, I would have to say immunotherapy has been the biggest leap bound and and outcome for patients that were literally would not have been alive six or 12 months, 10 years ago. But the other thing we have is, uh, I'm talking about the systemic therapy side, the medical oncology side, is is targeted therapies, where we're literally down to the smallest molecule level of able to give certain drugs that can interfere with the inside the tumor cell with its communication in the tumor cell or its cellular processes or its ability to grow or spread. These small molecules are basically a pill or an IV medication that can often control the cancer, usually not cure you, but control it for many, many years. And those are literally every week something new comes out. That's what's so fascinating in this specialty is that every week some new drug seems to come out that's targeted to some, you know, tumor cell. And that's just one more weapon and our armament to try to continue on. Like you said, you know, a patient may be on their seventh or eighth different line of treatment. We didn't have those. We didn't have line three <laughs> through eight, you know, 20 years ago, but yeah. now we do. And that's why these patients, a lot of cancers were almost turning into a chronic disease, you know, rather than a fatal disease in a lot of patients. And yet with all the things we're doing, you and I still hear this, you got to go across the bridge to get the best cancer treatment. But the truth of the matter is, 
the people across the bridge are sending you back over here for your treatment because it is equally as good, if not better. Yeah, and, and honestly, when a patient wants to get a second opinion across the bridge, when I say across the bridge for our community, that's Johns Hopkins, of University course. of Maryland, yes. or Anne Arundel, I actually encourage it. And the reason why I encourage it, because I want them to go over there and speak to the specialists over there. And when they hear the same exact plan, the same exact uh, way they would do the treatment, as I just talked to them about, that gives them very a lot of confidence in our organization. And then they, they come back very happy to our organization to actually get their treatment in their hometowns, that they can be in their own bed every night, supported by their family, which I think is so important when you're undergoing cancer treatment, is to have that support network around you. So, so you know, patients do not need to go over the bridge to get the latest and greatest, but when they do for that second opinion, I am very supportive of that, and I think it's a win-win for us. And very, very rarely, but some very specialized cases, say like an acute leukemic, that patient is actually better served at the, at the um, you know, academic type level setting. And so we will transfer those patients across the bridge. But in general, that's a very, very small percentage of uh, patients that would need care, you know, essentially across the bridge. Yeah. Um, You've been at this a while. You've been here at Title Health for a while too. What's your take on the future of cancer care? So I think, uh, you know, there is a, there's a whole slew of scientists and researchers that are literally working every day to break down at the molecular level, how to control a tumor cell how to boost your immune system, uh, other than what we call check, uh, check markets. It, you know, it's checkpoint inhibitors are called, but basically we're trying to make sure the tumor can not evade your own immune system. So uh, the, the research is phenomenal that's going out there. Um, there's CAR T cell therapy. I mean, there, it's, there's so many different angles that uh, the researchers are working on right now that you know, some of my, it's going to surprise me. I'm not even know that they were even looking at that, mm-hmm. you know, that, that way to attack the tumor cell. So I think at that level, as far as I'm concerned with radiation, our, our technology is continuing to advance. We're getting better and better on targeting, uh, and have a better chance of not hurting your normal cells in the process of trying to kill the cancer. I want to kill the cancer, but I don't want to kill you, right? Sure. Or right. I don't want to harm you. Right. Spare so, the tissue. Exactly. And so my technology in radiation oncology is just getting be- you know, better year after year. For example, if you showed up with 10 brain metastases, so 10 different lesions in your brain from, say, metastatic lung cancer, metastatic breast cancer, in the old days, when I mean old days, like a year ago, <laughs> I would have had to treat your whole brain with radiation because I really didn't have the technology to target all 10 of those lesions without keeping you on that table for two hours. That would be unrealistic, right? Sure. But we have a new technology now called HyperArc, where literally I can treat all 10 of those lesions with you on that table for five minutes, you know? So that's incredible. That is incredible. So that means that instead of treating your whole brain where I might affect your memory and your cognition and all those sort of things, I can just take out all 10 of those lesions in a, and well, typically we treat you over three different treatments, Mm -hmm. but I'm treating all 10 lesions, each of those three treatments, right? So I can control the tumor, but really minimize any side effects to you. So that, you know, that kind of continual improvement in technology, I didn't know we were going to be able to do that three or four years ago. And here we are, we're able to do that. And so, you know, I think the targeted therapies are going to get better and better and better. The immunotherapies are going to get better and better and better. And the radiation is, the technology is continuing to improve. And I know on our surgical side, 
they're constantly, you know, researchers are trying to, you know, figure out how can we do the surgery better? Do we need to sacrifice this? Do we need to do that? And so they're, you know, they're, they're continuing to keep up on their medical education too, to have, make sure they have the, you know, the, the best, best surgical outcomes too. Two things I want to circle back to before we get you out of here. One is research and the importance of research. I want you to talk about that. Sure. And also uh, robotic technology in cancer care and how that has improved things. Yeah. So let's go to the robot first since okay. you just mentioned that. So, I mean, Tidal has been very supportive about robot surgery. And so I think we have two robots here, I think, at the main campus. We do. We just got a robot at the at uh, at uh, Nanocoke at the Seaford, um, the, well, I was going to say the Island Cancer Center, but that's not where the robot is. That's right. actually at the hospital. Um, so the, the advantage advantage of that is I've talked to a lot of surgeons about this. The recovery time, number one, for the best I can tell, is pretty darn fast. I mean, uh, I work pretty closely with the GYN oncology surgeon, and those patients go home that day or the next day after robotics, pretty, you know, major pelvic surgery. And that's Mm -hmm. pretty amazing, right? Um, The visualization for the surgeon is amazing because they're, it's all under, it's all magnified. They're looking at a goggle and the five robotic arms or six uh, are able to um, really see great detail to, you know, really take out the tumor with minimizing any damage to the, to the local structures. So, um, so the robotics been, that's good at nothing but expand for sure. For yeah. sure. Um, and I'll probably, what was the other part of the question? So <laughs> research, the importance oh, yeah, yeah. of research, so, so to research. what you're doing too. Yeah. So we have a very, you know, you know, this, we have a very robust research Incredible department research yeah. program. Uh, and, uh, Bob Joyner is awesome. He's been an awesome leader of that department. Uh, and the, um, we have the collaboration with Johns Hopkins, of course, as you know, right. but the key to research is, we are never going to get better unless unless we in in cancer care unless we roll enroll patients on research because we got to know is this new therapy better than the standard therapy that we're doing right now and the only way you can do that is is clinical trials and so research has shown if you're on a clinical trial you actually do better than the average doe that's not on a clinical trial so some people are always worried i'm going to be a guinea pig you're an experiment on me well you are you may be you may be getting the new therapy but you got to understand that's been vetted and we believe it has a chance to be better, but we need patients to enroll in these trials to test that, you know, hypothesis. Is it really better? Uh, but in general, people that go on clinical trials actually do better. So patients, I want to allay the patient's fear that, oh, I'm a, I may not get, you know, the standard of care. I might be getting picked. No, it's just the opposite. Your, your chance of having a superior outcome are actually, that's what the data shows. You're going to have a better outcome. And so we're never going to get better unless we have the generosity of our patients willing to enroll in these clinical trials. And so um, that's literally how we advance our science. Get you out of here on this. We've touched on this, and you've probably answered this already, but this is a good way to wrap the show up again. You have cancer three words that nobody wants to hear. But if we hear them and when we hear them, why should it be Tidal Health? Why should we trust you with our care? And more importantly, why should I trust those I love with your care? Right. And I think that's a very good question because I and I think what you need to do is you want to have confidence in me that I know what I'm doing, number one, that uh, our organization is going to provide you compassionate care because you want to be feel like you're cared for and that you're not just a number, you're a patient, you're a human being. And the other thing is you really want to make sure your care is seamless. You want to make sure that the communication between your doctors, your nurses, your therapists, or your chemotherapy nurses that are infusing chemo, that that communication is there. And that's the great thing about our organizations. We're all integrated. We all have one medical record. So I can see exactly what happened to you at Seaford, that happened at Ocean Pines, that may have happened at the Salisbury Hospital because of our integrated system. 
I know exactly what's going on with you. I know exactly what your doctors are thinking because all their notes are in the same system. And that is not the way it used to be a few years ago. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Trying to read a scribbled note from a doctor that was in pencil and he can't even write. It was, was very difficult. It's not like that anymore. Mm -hmm. It's all very clear of what the plan is, what other doctors are thinking, what your nurses are thinking, that sort of thing. And so that's, that's what makes top-notch care right there. Well, look, I have firsthand experience. As you know, I've been through this. You saved my life. The team saved my life. So I will be forever grateful to Title Health. And uh, Dr. Mansuetti, grateful to you as well for coming on the program and chatting with us today. Thank you. Thank you very much, Roger. Pleasure as always. Always. I, I want to have you back and we'll talk about just flying jets. Anytime. Because I, I could do 30 <laughs> minutes on flying jets. We won't need an hour and a half of that. <laughs> Good. And I'll block it off. Thank All you right. very much. Take care. Thank you. And thank you so much for watching Title Health On Point. We appreciate you being here for our interview with Dr. Mansuetti today. And look, if you have a great idea that you'd love for a show, give me a shout. Let me know. Do it the old-fashioned way. Call me, 410-543-7142. Or you can always email me at roger.fallabout at titlehealth.org. For Dr. John Mansuetti, I'm Roger. Thanks so much for watching or listening. And we'll catch you on the next episode of Title Health On Point.